Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Welcome to the Azure Podcast. This is episode 454 being recorded on February the 22nd, 2023. I'm Russell Young and with me is Kendall and our special guest today going to talk about sustainability in the cloud is Paul Henwood. Um, but before we come on to introduce Paul, we just want to go over some of the current updates that we've seen in the past few weeks um, on Azure that, that have kind of caught our eye. Um, Kendall, I know you were talking about the ACS Azure Communication Services bot one. Uh, do you want to elaborate on yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So like, I've always been a huge fan you know, over my career of bot framework and the work that Microsoft did around Azure bot service and just basically enabling organizations to build uh, bots that can interact, whether it's via chat or, you know, even just, uh, you know, communication. Um, and so it's been really neat to see how that's evolved over time, how it's become more accessible to um, to more and, and more broadly available to developers. And so one of the things that's in public preview that was announced on February 15th is basically uh, bot framework integration with Azure Communication Services chat. So essentially what this means is if you're building like a con- in conversational, that's what I was looking for. Um, if you're building a conversational bot um, using Azure bot service, you can actually then uh, streamline the handover to Azure communication services chat, which essentially allows for you to translate, you know, maybe first line of defense, which is the bot running, maybe the conversational bot running on Azure bot service, and then essentially translate that into chat based communication using uh, communication services. So obviously this helps a lot if a bot can essentially greet the customer and then maybe as things uh, you know escalate or if they need to be handled by you know a real agent, uh, you can do a handoff there. Um, you can also uh, basically meet customers outside of business hours because you're offloading some of the responsibility to um, bot service and communication services and then also integrate with AI to kind of understand sentiment and also to push notifications to mobile devices, things of that nature. So I think it's really interesting. We'll drop the links in the show notes, but just seeing the collaboration between, you know, Azure Communication Services, which is a really powerful service, and now seeing how that's working together with um, the growth of our bot services platform is really, it's really cool to see and definitely creates a good end-to-end experience, especially for customer service scenarios. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought that's, that's a very common scenario, isn't it? That, that bit of mm-hmm. doing that first contact, taking some context from the customer and then um, and then wanting to hand over to an agent or taking the message and asking them to call back if, if busy and yep. whatever you say. Yeah, it's good to see that one. Um, thank you. Uh, one that caught my eye was the general availability of the Azure Data Explorer dashboards. Um, and I was having a chat with Paul about this a little bit earlier because Paul's quite a, a Power BI guru and I was kind of like questioning where this fitted versus Power BI. But... Um, Azure Data Explorer, obviously based on the kind of custo uh, data sets and KQL queries and stuff like that. So for querying a lot more of that um, operational streaming log analytical type data. Uh, So this feature now lets you create interactive dashboards that you can share um, more broadly uh, and then let the person that's that's consuming that explore and carry on their exploration journey using more KQL or 
or using that ADX web UI. So um, that sounds quite a good good thing. I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to have a play with that later on, I think. Um, Azure Backup has got some uh, enhanced experience features for creating and managing private endpoints. Um, so you've got the ability now to create private endpoints without managed identities within Azure Backup. Um, using fewer private IPs per vault as well. So this is all part of the, the recovery services vault thing. Um, and um, you don't need to create separate private endpoints for blob and queue services like you did before. So some, some extra bits can't there. And finally, uh, there was a kind of a, there was a stream of a few updates to Azure SQL that went GA mid-February, um, including some optimization on how the locking works to improve database concurrency and lowering the amount of memory needed uh, for, for locking in Azure SQL. Um, automatic key rotation for customer managed keys um, in both Azure SQL MI and Azure SQL database. And um, the ability to configure your TempDB maximum size in Azure SQL managed instance, which wasn't there before as well. So there, there, was, there was a load of updates to choose from as well. So um, if you haven't checked in a while, go back and check the blog site as well. Um, but yeah, Time to hand over to uh, to intro Paul. Um, I've known Paul for quite a few years. So I knew Paul before he joined Microsoft as well, actually. But for the last sort of seven seven years, eight years maybe, he's been working uh, yep. fairly closely with me in Microsoft as well. So, yeah, Paul, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thanks. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Paul Hemmert. I'm a cloud solution architect in the partner side of the business at Microsoft, uh, specialising in data and and sustainability. So really my passion, especially over the last sort of nine, 12 months, has been working with as many partners as possible to help them with their sustainability journey. So thinking about uh, how they can work and, and use Azure, uh, but also help customers obviously reduce the amount of carbon, waste, water, et cetera, however I can really help them. It's just a really passionate area for me. So um, when Russell uh, offered me the chance to come and talk about it, I'm, I'm always keen to say yes to anyone who lets me uh, uh, talk about sustainability. Yeah, I think I'm, I really kind of, you know, reflecting on your journey coming into Microsoft and with, with all the kind of data and analytical background that you've got and that ability to analyse and do business information. But then you've, you've focused on sustainability as that passion area. Combining the two things really brings out a lot of interesting insight and information. So that, you know, really, really keen to hear what you've got to tell us about um, sustainability in Azure. I know there's there's the, the cloud for sustainability. Um, there's there's all the stuff going on with Azure data centers and how they, they support sustainability and how they're making themselves become more sustainable as well. So lots of different aspects to this as well. Yeah, so so I thought it would be worth um, starting talking a little bit about the cloud for sustainability. It's it's something that a lot of people have perhaps heard about, and maybe it's not clear kind of what it is and uh, how it fits together. So uh, I thought it might be nice for me to just maybe give a little bit of an overview, talk about it, and talk about kind of some of the the core products that we've got in that space uh, as as a starter. Yeah, please do. Yeah, so. The Cloud for Sustainability, uh, really, it's a collection of both the Microsoft first party products, but also some of our partner offerings as well. So when you kind of see uh, the Cloud for Sustainability, some people will talk about tools like Microsoft Sustainability Manager or the Emissions Impact Dashboard. All of these tools are just part of the overall Cloud for Sustainability. So really, you can just think of a collection of everything sustainability related when it comes to Microsoft. And this is things like the common data model. We've got a common data model specifically for sustainability. Um, and that's really about helping have that uh, single definition or that um, single 
setup of data that you can pull data from lots of different locations for all different types of um, carbon scope one scope two scope three emissions for water for waste and you can centralize that all onto a common data model and the benefit of having that common data model is then being able to have a number of microsoft first party products that leverage it but also partner products and offerings that leverage it as well so it's really about uh, having both of us um, you know, being able to build offerings in, in that space. So when it comes to kind of Microsoft offerings, the, the main things are the Microsoft Sustainability Manager might be the tool that people have heard about, which is a tool which is aimed at um, basically carbon accounting uh, to start with, um, with the viewpoint that you can get an idea of where you are as a business uh, and actually be able to collate data for every different scope, that scope one, scope two, scope three. So emissions related to electricity or business travel or purchase goods and services and being able to pull it all into a centralized tool and automate all of the calculations. That's kind of a kind of the main first party tool that a lot of people will hear about. So this isn't just about the consumption of compute and resources within Azure. It's about the consumption of their business as a whole. And does it cover their supplier chain as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's really about thinking of an, an individual organization. So if we take Microsoft, we actually use the, uh, the Microsoft Sustainability Manager to measure our own carbon emissions. So this will be things like our, our actual direct emissions. So our, our scope one, our indirect emissions, things like electricity and scope two, and then scope three, as, as Russell, as you said there, it's the supply chain as well, both upstream and downstream. It's about business travel, what purchase goods I've got. So really it's about you as an organization being able to provision the tool and report on what your carbon impact is as an organization. Uh, and then in the future, be able to report on where you are from a waste and a, and a water perspective as well. So that's kind of the, the main first party product we've got. Is that, I mean, that sounds like a lot of work to uh, put all that data in there. Is it? Is it quite onerous? The, ch the challenges around for a lot of organizations is finding that data and having access to that data, right? So I think that's that's often where organizations have that challenge. It's a very manual process that people are doing today, but as more regulatory uh, requirements come in, uh, especially you know Europe and uh, America, we're talking the next one, two years, there's actually going to be a lot more requirements to, to have to actually report on this information. So uh, like I say, a lot of the largest organizations are doing it today already, but it's very manual. Uh, it takes months. Data is pulled from lots of different locations. So really, it's about helping reduce that that effort to actually configure it all. Because once you've configured it, it's there. It's ready. It's refreshing regularly, and you've got access to that okay. data. So. And is that coming? Sorry, Kendall. No, it's okay. Go ahead. I was just wondering what, what the output of it is. Is it is it in terms of um, tons of uh, carbon, or is it recommendations, or Yes. Yeah, so, so, so the main part of it is being able to have that centralized uh, unit of measure. So metric tons CO2 equivalent is the, the typical way that you do it. So you're converting all of these electricity in kilowatt hours, the purchase goods in dollars or pounds, and you're converting it all to this single unit. So, you know, as a business that I'm generating this much CO2 with really the plan that you can then configure goals to think about how I can reduce that overall emissions uh, and uh, how I can actually you know think about what I'm generating as a business and, and, and how I can reduce it. So this is my ignorance showing because this really is like I, I'm very <clears throat> I'm very uneducated in this area. But I'm curious. So is a lot of the data that these customers are looking for, like actually coming off of like IoT devices from legitimate operating, potentially like operating machines? And um, like, is, is that kind of the source of a lot of this data that they're actually bringing in? And yeah. is it coming off of like physical hardware that's potentially running their business or 
Yeah, so, so there's, there's a few ways that you can measure those sorts of things, right? So if you think about uh, the running of a particular office, just just to start with that for as an example, you could t- um, pull things like meter readings, right? Or you okay. could pull um, from the actual data that's being you know, generated by particular rooms if you've kind of got IoT devices down to that level. Or, of course, you could do it by literally pulling your electricity bill, right? Which at the end of the mm-hmm. month, you could have a PDF that says I've generated or spent a thousand kilowatts uh, in uh, electricity you know we will get them at home right so you can use those as a measure so there's a number of different ways that you can do it depending on how you want to plan and analyze and reduce your overall emissions right there's lots of ways that you can uh, can think about it uh, but that's just one example right some other data things like business travel that's going to be you know the number of miles that are being traveled by an individual and so what's the responsibility for an individual cost center um thinking mm-hmm. about you know how maybe they're traveling a thousand miles a year and they need to think really about how they can reduce that impact is being able to equate that to a number uh, and then being able to start coming up with those plans around how can you reduce it mm-hmm. by, in that case, um, maybe moving some conversations to teams rather than in person. Or if you're thinking about um, maybe making uh, the electricity that's generated by any data centers that you're running your applications in, thinking about could I migrate those to the cloud uh, and therefore benefit from some of the kind of cloud scale computes and some of the imp- implementations and benefits we've got in Azure to really reduce your overall uh, impact. I, so I have a follow up question, if that's OK, Russell, and this this one might be a little bit out there, because once again, I'm just I'm asking what's on my yeah. uh, like novice mindset. But so obviously, Azure, we as a company or, or Microsoft as a company is working to reduce our own carbon footprint and be carbon neutral in a lot of these different efforts. So mm-hmm. obviously, the workloads of all of our customers that are running on Azure is the like the aggregation of that is ultimately what we're responsible for also decreasing. So subsequently, I would assume we're also somewhat reducing that for our customers. So I'm kind of curious, is there, you know, obviously with some of these other data points, like, you know, your electricity within a particular office location or something like that, that's that's obviously one bucket of data that like we aren't necessarily going to have unless it's, it's brought to us. But we clearly know like how many VMs is this customer running? Or So do we have a way within the tool of kind of automating at least the like here's how much your infrastructure slash you know azure operations is contributing to these different factors like is that part automated in that tool or accessible in another area absolutely and i promise people we didn't plant this question but actually one of the other parts of the cloud for sustainability is the emissions impact dashboard and what that does is allows an organization to um, basically install an application in power bi and it will tell you what your emissions are for your azure resources that you're using so you'll be able to drill into it you'll be able to see right as an organization i'm generating this much uh, carbon how much is this subscription generating in this region over this time frame so as an organization we actually make that data available via what we call the emissions impact dashboard and that's available both for your azure usage and your microsoft 365 usage as well so you can see what uh, the use of our services is uh, generating from a, a calm perspective uh, for you because what you need to think about um, as an organization is uh, the emissions generated by microsoft are still uh, emissions that you're responsible for by using our services. In this case, um, let's take organization, just uh, one of our customers, they would be uh, looking at their scope one category, uh, scope, scope three category one, which is basically purchase goods. They've purchased Azure, right? And therefore the emissions generated by the use of Azure is gonna be part of their emissions that they need to report on. And that those values must 
vary by data center and location, I would have thought as well, because they do. They do. Yeah. So so in our data centers, we have um, different um, obviously data centers are built all the time. Right. We're <clears throat> constantly building, upgrading uh, and improving our data centers in lots of different ways. If we take some of the newer data centers, uh, for example, things like uh, data center in Sweden, uh, there's lots of investments that we have there where that data center will potentially have a, a lower PUE. You might see it here it's uh, referred to, uh, which is the uh, power usage efficiency. Uh, and this will basically mean that certain data centers <clears throat> will run slightly more efficiently with the viewpoint, obviously, we're we're looking to make all of our data centers as efficiently as possible. Um, but yes, there will be some slight variation between them due to the different generations of data centers uh, that we have. So if we take the Swedish one, for example, which is very new, um, we've got things like um rainwater capture inside the data center so we're reducing the amount of water that's actually being used to uh like in the data center itself in fact most of the cooling is actually air cooling rather than water cooling so we're trying to also reduce the impact we're having on water usage in a particular region um, and then from the carbon perspective we're using 100 percent carbon free energy um, and we're also uh, got investments in things like uh, the premium evolution diesel fuel, which is a 50 percent uh, kind of it's a low carbon renewable fuel uh, effectively that's used for our backup generators. So there's lots of ways that we've got in our newer data centers to really help with the uh, the overall reduction uh, or the overall emissions that are generated. Like I say, not just from carbon. I kind of mentioned some of the water and, and waste pieces there as well. Or waste, actually, I didn't mention. That's the uh, recycling center. So we have recycling centers on site in, in our data centers. We're actually adding it to all of our data centers. So 80% of the components can actually be recycled on site. So they don't need to be disposed of or transported somewhere else. We can recycle and reuse them on site you know, within the data centers themselves. So um, I started by talking about carbon, but really we need to think about uh, as a whole here. We need to think about our waste, we need to think about the water that's being consumed, uh, and really all up uh, how much you know, we're, um, yeah, impact we put onto the environment. That's, that's really, yeah, there's a lot to think about, isn't there? And mm. Is there, I mean, when I'm having conversations with customers, how can we kind of quantify what saving they'll be making in terms of sustainable savings when they move to the cloud? Is it ever been kind of, is it ever a close call or is it actually, no, you move to any public cloud and you're going to make a, a, a big impact in terms of your sustainability footprint? I think I think in, in I think it's pretty safe to say that it, that in all cases, if you move to a public cloud, there's going to be a lot more efficiencies from scale uh, by actually migrating. If you if you look at things like the emissions impact dashboard that I mentioned, uh, it actually compares the uh, use of Azure versus what an on-premises equivalent would be, and depending on the efficiency of a data center that you're using, this could be anywhere from maybe a 60% efficiency, anywhere to something like 93% more efficient by moving to the cloud if you're really using single servers or things like that if you're not using VMs or if you're in a very small uh, by using a very small data center that's obviously not using renewable energy and things like that so uh, when we actually migrated to the cloud Microsoft obviously have been doing this for, for many years but when we migrated all of our services we actually saw a 98% reduction overall in our carbon usage um, but really on average we're talking about like a 93 sort of percent uh, efficiency and um, yeah <clears throat> So I'm curious, uh, like I assume that there's, you know, a ton of different 
motivations for wanting mm-hmm. to become more sustainable. But I would I'm hypothesizing here that maybe two of the main factors are like one regulatory like requirements, yeah. right? Like there's honestly just like, hey, we have a motivation or a requirement to kind of become more sustainable. And then obviously companies that are just trying to be more environmentally con- conscious, conscientious, yeah. right? Um, trying to make sure, and because I feel like that's also something that some of their customers care about as well. So it's yes. kind of a, you know, we feel, you know, maybe a moral or, you know, environmental obligation to do our part. Um, and also we know that our customers, you know, potentially also care about these things. And this is something that can be used from a marketing perspective. So I'm curious, you know, if you're in one of those camps, which I assume those are, you know, maybe two of the main buckets and would be curious if, if you see that as also being uh, the reality or if there's also some other, you know, main motivations to start driving this, but do customers just go into the Azure portal and like deploy resource or since it is sort of uh, like its own cloud, because I'm thinking, you know, like the Gov cloud and then I'm thinking of like just Azure public, I'm wondering because it has its own, you know, cloud-based, uh, you know, uh, schema, you know, the cloud for sustainability, is it a suite of products that's, that has to be opted into in a different way than just like piecemealing various Azure resources. Okay, so so I'll start with some of the motivation pieces. And you're right, by the way, from the regulatory requirement and the customer request, but there's a few more as well. There's actually investor expectation as well, right? You've got to think mm-hmm. uh, organizations, uh, or, or it's kind of driven by the customer as well, right? But investors are wanting to make sure that they're investing in organizations that are thinking about sustainability or thinking about what we term, uh, we hear ESG. So I've been focusing on the environmental part, but you've got the social and the governance aspects as well. Um, so it's it's really investors are actually driving it too. And then you've also got overall cost reductions as well. So some organizations maybe have very high energy costs from actually running some of these data centers. So maybe there's a monetary motivation that goes alongside the sustainability benefit that it drives uh, to actually do so. And in some cases, there's also um, uh, an economic opportunity as well. If we think about some partners and some capabilities and offerings that can be built to help people plan on how to reduce their overall emissions, there are lots of opportunities to go to go after as well for our customers and our partners uh, around reducing it. So, so, so you're right with the, the kind of, I guess, the main two, but the, there are a few others that kind of lean into that as well. In terms of how people get started uh, and thinking about it, sustainability manager is around reporting where you are as an organization, right? So that gives you that baseline. So, you know, I'm generating this much. You can then start thinking about goals and plans. You can think, right, can I electrify my fleet? Can I reduce my overall emissions in my uh, particular buildings? Uh, Can I reduce the amount of travel that I've got for my employees? There's various different mechanisms and schemes, and you'll see lots of great offerings from our partners that will help provide that guidance. Some of them might be more specific, like switching out um, which, uh, you know, how you're getting electricity or, or moving your uh, data centers to another, another location. There can be lots of ways that you do it. Um, but it's really thinking about um, you know, where, you, where you are today and then how you can reduce. From an Azure perspective, it's really thinking about when you are using uh, the cloud, migrating services from on-premises or, or from, from existing data centers into the cloud should often give you a reduction in overall emissions, right? There are actually um, offerings that we have in Microsoft. We have um, what's called a sustainability solution assessment where we can actually uh, give you that guidance around the sorts of savings you would make from a sustainability perspective, from a carbon perspective, if you were to migrate to the cloud. And some of our partners have similar offerings as well. 
But it's not just let's just shove it in the cloud, right? That's that's also not going to fully solve the problem. Um, the same kind of pattern where we say you can lift and shift and move on to IaaS, but there are often more efficient services and uses of our PaaS and SaaS offerings, which means that you can reduce your overall emissions. And this is why we have things like the well-architected framework for sustainability, where you start thinking about how do I design something in Azure but think about sustainability when I'm designing it. So you'll see things like, um, like I said, the well-architected framework for sustainability, um, green software um, principles um, people may hear about as well. So there's a few different kind of patterns that are trying to provide that guidance to people, uh, but that's really a consideration. Um, yeah, just like moving in the cloud, you want to keep the cost as low as possible. Let's also think about keeping that uh, energy use as low as possible by designing efficiently at the same time. I, I suppose the, so like, those... Oh, oh. Sorry, just sorry. Gonna, I was just gonna. Yeah, go. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just gonna add. So, but like, what? I guess that all makes sense, and that's helpful. But like, for example, like if I'm in Azure and I want access to these sustainability tools, is it just mm. a resource I deploy, or like, do I buy a license? Like, right. how would I actually get access to the crux of the management dashboard? Yep. For example, that you mentioned. So the emissions impact dashboard, which tells you what your uh, overall emissions generated by these your services, is something you can just download in Power BI. So you need a Power BI Pro license as an individual, but once you download uh, the data in there, that's it. It's just ready for you to use, and it will continue to update. If you want to use Sustainability Manager to report on your overall organization's carbon uh, being produced, that is a licensed product that you would need to purchase. Um, it's part of our Dynamics suite um, that you can uh, deploy. Um, and so you would be able to uh, purchase and provision that tool uh, separately. But for anyone who's using Zure today, I would be recommending get into the admissions impact dashboard and have a look at where you are today um, would be a great place to get started. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about the fact that even if you don't care about sustainability in the planet, you do care about cost. Usually most companies do. And right. the two things go hand in hand together. So why would you not? Um, particularly when you're yeah, killing two birds with one stone. And that's why it's worth having a little look at the well-architected framework for sustainability, because whilst the cost and sustainability do go hand in hand, there are times where you, you may have other things you need to balance. So obviously, when you're designing an all-up solution, you've got to think about high availability, disaster recovery and things like that. So there are trade-offs to be had between the um, you know, when you're designing the application between these different areas. Uh, so it is something that you, you do need to consider um, and hopefully people are already looking at well architected today and if they haven't seen the new sustainability pillar uh, I would say check it out and there's even uh, more recently there's uh, an assessment uh, tool that you can go through as well so you can fill in the uh, assessment for the sustainability pillar too um, if, if you're wanting to evaluate one of your solutions um, that would really help you. Cool and, and you mentioned you know ongoing development and the fact that these data centers are going through different generations to constantly yep. upgrade and what have you we, we heard about project Natic, I think it was called, with the where yep. they're submerging data centers offshore. I think partly was due to, to testing cooling things, but yep. also testing where you can relocate. What what else is going on in those, those sort of areas that you know about? Yeah, so so the project uh, Natic stuff is is around you know deploying closer to a location, right? So um, there are benefits, as you said, around the overall power usage efficiency. This is where when we talk about this, we're talking um, it's actually 1.07 or less uh, PWE. Uh, so it's very low uh, in terms of 
um, the amounts of uh, energy they're generated, as, as you've highlighted, kind of the, the reduced amount of cooling that's actually required. Uh, there's also other benefits like resistance to hurricanes and storms and all of those sorts of things as well. So there's some other benefits that you get alongside it. But yeah, uh, Natix is a really interesting one. Some of the other, other ones around this space uh, are around things like how is data stored? Uh, you've got to think data being stored on lots of different servers, often in triplicate or, you know, let's be honest, people are not actually deleting all the old images on their phones or all of their old emails, et cetera. So the amount of data that's being stored in the cloud is constantly increasing, right? We're all generating it. And let's be honest, no one's really removing it, even personally, let alone uh, thinking about businesses. So how we store that data, there's lots of efficiencies that can be done around that space as well. So there are things like um, research into storing data on quartz glass uh, or even actually using DNA uh, to store data. I mean, the DNA storage is looking like it could be around a 60% efficiency in terms of emissions that are generated and the water that's being consumed uh, for cooling as well. So that's uh, one of the ones that I think is super interesting. Um, still one that uh, I need to look more into and, and get a lot more detail, but it's, it sounds sounds super cool. And uh, yeah, the fact that it's got those benefits of, of kind of huge reductions, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm not sure I can get my head around that. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got my head fully around it either, if I'm being honest. Um, the other ones are, are Project Xerix, uh, which is thinking about building a modern data center uh, You'll see lots of things uh, in the news and lots of comments around the fact that it generates a lot of emissions to actually build a data center, right? We're, we're building a big concrete building, right? And everyone knows that there's a lot of emissions generated in processes like that. We call it embodied carbon, right? The, the amount of um, carbon that's generated by actually uh, producing the building. So it's thinking about rather than using things like steel, concrete, plastics, the typical things that you would build is thinking about how can we use other types of materials to be more efficient and reduce the amount of uh, impact. Uh, so this is things like bricks made of algae. Uh, there are mushroom compounds for electricity circuits. Uh, there's earthen slabs um, and there's use of timber uh, a lot more, right, which is significantly lower emissions. Uh, so there's lots of things, researchers in that in that space to use these alternate materials to try and reduce the impact of building all of these data centers. I mean, I don't know if people have seen recently the BBC Panorama episode talking about data centers and the impacts in some areas. Uh, and so part of what we're trying to do is not just reduce the amount of water that's being used, use renewable energy, offset um, to make sure whenever we're using a carbon generating uh, piece or, or for um, a carbon piece of energy or carbon generated piece of energy that we offset that exact amount on the grid to make sure that there's uh, an, a, a um, renewable energy uh, electron for each one that we're using available on the grid. Uh, things like that. There's lots of things that we're doing in that space that I think people hear about, but there's all this research is going to help, right, in terms of uh, all of these areas. Um, and there are some probably easier ones to understand. I probably could have started with things like uh, some of the liquid immersion cooling. So rather than using water cooling, which is the typical, or air cooling where possible, uh, which is even better, right, because it doesn't have a stress on water basins, uh, but using things like liquid immersion cooling. So actually putting the circuit boards inside uh, a liquid so it's um, immediately um, dissipating heat a lot more easily to reduce the overall cooling that's required. Uh, you've got things like grid interactive UPS batteries. So these are um, being able to take renewable energy off of the grid 
for these backup batteries um, and, you know, more efficient, clean backup power. I mentioned some of the uh, kind of renewable diesels uh, or partial renewable diesel fuels. There's various different ways that we're doing that. So lots of different things beyond, let's say, the obvious of just reduce water and use renewable energy that's actually happening to, to help with our overall uh, impact of these data centres. Yeah, I, I was quite amazed at how unbalanced some of the press has been in terms of it's a big data centre, it's bad for the environment without considering all the research that goes into um, making these things better and the fact that it's replacing something that's even worse yeah. in most cases as well. Um, but on the flip side, I can blame Kyle as well because of all the crypto blockchain mining technology that he uses and supports it over the years for that. So <laughs> uh, this has been really interesting. Uh, thank you very much, Paul, for, for, for coming on and talking about all this. Is it, are there any kind of final thoughts or calls to action for people? I think so. so the call to action from me, at least, uh, again, uh, this is kind of my passion area, right? So my call to action for all organizations is really start thinking about where you are as an organization. Obviously, as a Microsoft employee, I'd say, yeah, great, use all the Microsoft technologies. But but as, as an individual, I would say, please just start reporting on where you are, whether you use the Microsoft tool or other tools. Make sure you know where you are as an organization and really start to plan and reduce your overall emissions. That's that's a personal ask, I would say. Uh, and then if you are going to use um, you know, Azure services, use the emissions impact dashboard so you know the impact of what you're doing. Look at the green software principles and the well-architected to build more efficient, more sustainable designed solutions uh, and, and, you know, make, really just make sure it's part of conversations that you're having and considerations when when designing applications. We need to stop it being that secondary or afterthought. It needs to more be a forethought and, you know, it needs to be thought up front, uh, similar to how people think about costs today, right? I need to think about how much it's going to cost up front. What's my impact up front? Let's think about that and let's, let's make sure we're considering. Yeah, absolutely. It should be part of every business case, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I did. I did a. Um, there's a course and a badge that you can do that that, that Microsoft um, created. I think it's called Sustainability in Action. I think that's available to general public to consume and use as well, which kind of gives you quite a good broad education in terms of all those different scopes and um, how sustainability can be framed, measured, calculated, and and acted upon as well. So, and there's lots of ways you can get involved, in, and you'll see there's lots of materials to learn and read. You don't have to read everything and learn everything at once, right? For me, it's the journey was start with carbon, right? It's probably the easier one to get your head around. How much am I generating? Can I make that number smaller? It's a very simple place to start, uh, and, and just a great place to start reading more and, and, and learning more. Uh, and then, obviously, broader than that, think about uh, maybe kind of ESG as a whole and the UN's 17 UN sustainability goals uh, would be kind of the, the the final place to go oh well thank you very much and uh yeah. yeah it's been great having you on thank you thank you thanks paul this was great thank you for listening to the show if you have any thoughts questions or just want to connect find us on twitter at azure podcast background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the creative commons license we hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us